On Friday, a jury acquitted two defendants of all charges and the alleged plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020. Welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Cole McNeely, General Manager of America's Talking Network. Michigan in Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can listen to Michigan in Focus and all of our podcasts at americastalking.com. That's americastalking.com. Now here's your host, Bruce Walker. Thank you, Cole, and welcome to Michigan in Focus. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Managing Editor for The Center Square. Michigan in Focus is brought to you by America's Talking Network. America's Talking Network is a new podcast hub where you can find news, civil conversations, and all of the Center Square podcasts. Go to americastalking.com to check out all of our podcasts. Once again, that's americastalking.com. We're recording this podcast on Thursday, April 14th, and joining me today is Scott McClellan, the Center Square's Michigan reporter and just all-around swell guy. How you doing, Scott? Doing good. How are you? Well, oh, I'm doing well. Thank you very much. So, you know, you've been, you've been uh, an ink-stained wretch for quite some time. You've you've already published books, and you have you turn in, you know, scads of journalism every day. How did you get started on this journey? What 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 inspired you to be a journalist? Was it an instructor in school or? Uh, you saw a movie and you said, I want to be just like Humphrey Bogart in Deadline USA or? I started in high school. I I started at a very small paper in high school. Uh, I knew the owner and uh, he and I were basically the only reporters there. So I started reporting without any formal instruction, but I learned on the job. And I just, I like talking to people more than I like sitting in a room by myself. So that's how I started. I like telling stories. Gotcha. Well, that, that well, that's pretty interesting. Do you remember the first story that you filed? It was a uh, review on a new restaurant, I believe. Uh, one that one that's not now open, but I just went oh, there. I talked to the owner. It was a bad review, huh? Uh, it, it was it was a good review, uh, but okay. not good enough to save the restaurant, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Yeah, because uh, th- that's pretty much how I started out. I was uh, uh, I started writing theater reviews when I was in high school and uh, it's took off from there. And while I was in high school, uh, there was uh, a little thing called Watergate that was happening. And then all the president's men came out and there was a tremendous influx of journalism students as a result thereof. And coincidentally, one of the speakers to the journalism school at uh, the first college that I went to was uh, a individual named G Gordon Liddy. And I'm in the background um, wincing because none of the journalism students there at the time recognized who G Gordon Liddy was. And they, they thought that he was all that in a bag of chips. And I'm thinking I, I, I was totally flummoxed. So Anyway, that that's part of my background. So, um, anyway, Scott, let's let's get started. Uh, last Friday, last we, Friday, mm-hmm. last oh, Friday, sorry. yeah. Let's let, let's talk about last Friday. There was uh, uh, verdicts rendered, and there was verdicts not rendered. 
So on Friday, a jury acquitted two defendants of all charges in the alleged plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer in 2020, and the jury deadlocked on a verdict of the other two people who the prosecution alleges were ringleaders. Now, this is a big deal because this has been going on since 2020, uh, and it's been litigated since then. Right. And uh, so these individuals were... Uh, the the defense was basically just saying that uh, their activities and their talk was all just drunk talk or or high talk, and uh, it, it seemed to have done the trick in in either succeeding in hanging deadlocking the jury, and or just getting acquitted entirely. But also, it, it seems to lead to the suspicion. And I don't think that this is anything that was proved, but it'll probably carry over into the state suit that is coming up. Uh, I, I don't know if you have any of specifics on that yet, Scott, but uh, the, the, there will be eight other defendants in state court over pretty much the same case. And uh, I, th I think that uh, one of their defenses is that they were more or less entrapped because many of the people working within the ranks of the Wolverine Watchmen were actually paid FBI informants. One, one individual receiving up to $60,000 and getting all sorts of, you know, he got himself a nice little goodie bag while he was doing that as well. I think it was what $60,000 for seven months of work. Not, not bad. Hey, not bad at all. Pretty, pretty, pretty wild. So um, I, I know that you've been working on a, a follow up story as it applies to the eight defendants in the state case. Is there anything new to, to report on that? I'm trying to connect with uh, Nicholas Somberg, the lawyer who's representing Joseph Morse, and I'm trying to connect with him today. Um, he was supposed to. He, yeah. So I'm working on it. I should be able to have a story up by Friday. The story's all done. Just got to talk to the lawyer. Well, that will hit just uh, about the same time as this podcast. So that, that, that kind of ties together very, very nicely. But you're also a, a busy journalist in that you will be embarking upon a trip to Grand Rapids. And this is not something that uh, one can take lightly. This is a, this is a very serious uh, story that you're working on right now. And it, it has to do with, we, we both watched the video today, uh, the, the body cam video, the dash cam video of a police officer in Grand Rapids, and then the independent video of a passenger in a vehicle that was driven by a man who was um, tackled and who he was indeed resisting arrest, but uh, he in the video you actually get to see the taking of a human life. Yeah, and the the video was released yesterday. The traffic stop that uh, ensued in that shooting happened on April fourth. So yesterday, uh, Wednesday, hundreds of people protesting in Grand Rapids near Rosa Parks Circle for more than four hours, uh, calling for justice, saying, uh, you know saying that Black Lives Matter after uh, Patrick Lyola, a uh, 26-year-old man, was fatally shot. 
over a traffic stop that was initiated over improper registration at about 8.11 a.m. Okay. Um, is there any other, well, they have not released the name of the police officer involved in the, in the shooting yet? No, they, uh, Grand Rapids Police Chief Eric Winstrom said that the officer will not be publicly identified unless there are criminal charges filed in the case. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll have to stick a pin in that uh, until you can put your boots on the ground in Grand Rapids and, and find out exactly what's going on. But this, this, it remains to be seen if this is going to be as charged as what happened in Kenosha or what happened in, in Wisconsin or what happened in Minneapolis, Minnesota uh, with the George Floyd case. And uh, when we covered those at the center square, there was a tremendous amount. I know that you, you dealt with uh, the Minneapolis stories not the Wisconsin stories, because uh, that would be uh, our friend Ben Yount. But tell me a little bit, um, what was the the damages from the George Floyd riots that broke out in Minneapolis? The city, the Twin Cities reported over $500 million worth of damage, and that was just public buildings. So that does not include private businesses, private homes. There were a lot of, especially in some of the most poor areas, a lot of the uh, affordable an, an affordable housing unit that hadn't even opened yet was burned to the ground. That had been a longtime goal of Minneapolis is to lower the cost of living there. Uh, a lot of grocery stores uh, were destroyed and they're probably not going to rebuild. So then you have, you know, vacant buildings sitting in Minneapolis. So, I mean, it's, it's probably going to take a decade if not longer for Minneapolis, at least to recover from those riots. Well, all I can do is hope that uh, this long weekend coming up for Easter, uh, Good Friday, which uh, will be tomorrow, and uh, many people will have Monday off as well, that it doesn't uh, open the door for uh, mischief in the streets. I mean, certainly as a proponent of free speech, I think if, if people do have issues with this and they want to make their voices heard to go, go ahead, but let, let's just uh, knock on wood and uh, extend prayers to the, the city that uh, it doesn't get totally blown out of control. Definitely not. Uh, there's a civil rights attorney who rep he, uh, his name is Ben Crump. He has uh, sent out a couple of statements on this shooting and he is trying to get involved. That matters because uh, Mr. Crump secured a 27, 000, sorry, excuse me, $27 million wrongful death settlement uh, against the city of Minneapolis over George Floyd's death. So it is yet to be seen if there will be civil litigation over this shooting as well. Okay, well, um, we're going from tragedy to a, a travesty and uh you know the many reasons that uh the wolverine watchman and many other individuals were 
upset with with the governor was because of her uh, mandates and lockdown orders and executive orders and and what have you and but there were there were also this happened nationwide and you wrote a story that uh, you published this morning and uh, I think Casey Harper also wrote a, a national story on this today. Uh, the Centers for Disease Control study that remote learning hurt kids' mental health. Tell us a little bit more about that, Scott. The study analyzed teenagers' mental health from between January 2021 through June 2020. Or, or, sorry, excuse me. Uh, J- January 2021 through June 2021. So that study found that compared to 2019, the proportion of mental health related emergency department visits in 2020 increased by 31% among kids 12 through 17. Uh, that was probably my biggest takeaway because those years as a teenager, as a teenager are already uh, difficult enough. You know, in high school, you're dealing with a lot of new things and a lot of new pressures. So that survey found that even a year prior, uh, 44.2% of respondents uh, experienced sadness or hopelessness. 19.9% had seriously considered suicide while 9% attempted to commit suicide. Give me those figures again. 31, 37.1% of students experienced bouts of poor mental health. And even a year before the study, those students who responded, 44.2% of them said they experienced, quote, sadness or hopelessness. 19.9% had seriously considered suicide, while 9% attempted to commit suicide. Holy crap. And what, and, what yeah, does these are kids? Yeah, yeah these ages are kids. 12 through 17. Wow. Wow. And, and, is this the the first time a study such as this? I mean, do do we have a baseline to judge this against? There are I, some I, studies. I, I, is there is there anything that's comparable that we can say? Well, this is a, this is a tremendous spike, or this is just a a slight increase because of the lockdowns. I don't think there's anything that we can compare this to. Uh, at least. Yeah. It, you know, I'm not that old, but in my lifetime, I, I've never seen uh, schools pivot from in-person learning to remote learning. Yes, that, that, and that's true. It's just that uh, as, as a journalist, as a uh, born skeptic, one always has to ask the question, compared to what? Yeah. And, and I, I, if you don't have a baseline number from which to compare this, then you're really kind of, you're, you're, you're kind of led to draw conclusions that may or may not be actually true, but who's to say, who's to say, Mm -hmm. I mean, let's, let's talk um, a little bit about another story that you wrote that is also COVID related. And that is Michigan specifically the COVID response ranked 40th nationwide out of 51, the the 50 being the 50 states and then 51 being the District of Columbia. The the study was published in the National Bureau of Economic Research, and it ranked uh, state by state uh, the reaction to COVID-19. 
So the the study is 22 pages. It has not yet been peer reviewed because it's um, you know so new. We're talking about very recent things. But the study defines state outcomes based on the economy, education, and mortality. So when COVID-19 hit Michigan in early 2020, Governor Gretchen Whitmer shuttered much of the economy. The unemployment rate in Michigan spiked to 22.7%. Uh, and at, that was at the same time where a lot of people, a lot of Michiganders were having trouble receiving unemployment benefits. Uh, so, Governor, for, so for example, uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer banned stores larger than 50,000 feet from selling paint. Uh, from advertising for non-essential goods. Uh, she criminalized operating a motorboat and traveling to a second home. So the researchers in the study said that despite those actions trying to slow the spread of COVID-19, they said, quote, the correlation between health and economy scores is essentially zero, which suggests that states that withdrew the most from economic activity did not significantly improve health by doing so, end quote. Okay, well, keeping in mind that uh, this this study has not been peer reviewed yet, mm -hmm. yes, and uh, and I and I, I think it's always important to to point that out. But uh, according to the study as it stands right now, prior to peer review, what what states ranked in the top tier? Utah, Nebraska, Vermont, Montana, and South Dakota. Okay. Are the and, ranked top in in that study? Okay. Well, I, I guess what we're looking at there are sparsely populated states that have uh, large open areas that where where people aren't rubbing shoulders and elbows like they might be in Grand Rapids, Lansing, Detroit, Flint. In areas like that, so there's there's they're not areas with a high density population areas, so that that might be one explanation. Um, do you have any other inkling of what other options might be out there that uh, might have tilted this in their favor? There are a lot of confounding variables. One. Uh one is that about 35% of Michiganders are obese and COVID-19 tends to kill people who are more unhealthy or more elderly. So uh, that combined with Michigan's high rate of cigarette smokers might have uh, boosted Michigan's mortality rates uh, comparative to other states who have fewer obese people or uh, who, um, uh, who are just like more healthy overall. Okay. All right. Well, let's, I think we have time for about one more story that uh, we've covered this week. And it was a story that I put up last Friday. So if you want to uh, turn your, spin your ball cap back around and ask me the questions on this, but uh, the story I'm specifically talking about is the governor wants to increase university funding as Michigan enrollment declines. Hmm. So, uh, why, I guess, if, if university enrollment is declining, why should taxpayers pick up the tab? Well, um, perhaps maybe they could use some of that, uh, additional money for recruitment purposes, but, uh, uh, no one denies that, uh, universities in any given state 
provide a a valuable service but i'm also thinking that uh there there there's many many reasons for the decline in um matriculation at michigan's state colleges and universities so um we we have 15 state universities and there's only three that have actually recognized uh increases and they're they're very slight increases but uh they're increases nonetheless and that would be michigan tech michigan state my alma mater and uh that that other school um down the road in um i think it's called ann arbor mm-hmm. but yeah so uh the, those are the only three but uh, some of the schools have they have just dropped sign their enrollment has just dropped significantly over the last 10 years and uh for example uh central michigan university which is in the the town i grew up in mount pleasant is uh down almost 30 percent over uh the, the past 10 years and that's pretty significant but it, despite that the that happening you know, total state appropriations per resident headcount increased. Um, I'm I'm looking it up here to make sure that I, I get it cor- correct. Uh, on average, four thousand eight hundred and seventy dollars in the 2012-2013 school year, but th- the enrollment fell by an average of twelve point two five percent over the same time period. So, um, and despite this fact, I mean. You asked a very pointed question that I really don't have an answer for, where the governor has proposed a 5% increase in annual spending for state universities, as well as another one-time 5% boost for for universities in her budget, which was released uh, on February 9th. So um, it's, you have, there's obviously a declining population uh frankly i come from a family of eight kids and families just don't come around that that large anymore so and it's not as if there's a a major amount of individuals moving to michigan right now we have a population of about 10 million but there's a lot of outbound population for that and i i think individuals are are looking at uh university education as being not worth the price that you have to pay for it i mean you know i i remember back in my day young mr mcclellan my uh, tuition was $12 a credit hour. You know, granted that was when I was taking classes concurrently in high school, but um, it it was a burden for my family to write a check for $36 every semester so that I could take another class at the university. But it, it you know, was far less expensive than it is now where people are, you know, graduating with, you know, 50,000, 80,000, $100,000 in uh, student loan debt. So what if Michigan's population uh, continues dropping? What if the birth rate does not kick up? 
uh, is it, it does uh, does Governor Gretchen Whitmer's budget uh, account for that? Do you know? No, no, it, it doesn't. I mean, th- this is one of those uh, ad hoc things that needs to be revisited every year, every two years. So um, I, I spoke with Ben DeGroe, who is the education director at the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. And, uh, you know, he, he basically pointed out that uh, th- th- that enrollment decreases are, you know, it's going to be a continuing thing and you can adjust your, your recruitment practices, but I just don't see, I don't see them bouncing back from that because of, you know, again, uh, there is not a replacement population coming Mm -hmm. in for, for those students. You know, um, when I was growing up, my, um, there was a stay-at-home mom there was and now both parents are working and they don't want to take the time out to have kids and you know lots of kids or you know more than let's say lots of kids is three or or more children you you just don't see that anymore mm-hmm. so and I, i'm trying to pull up my quote here okay um since the state doles out money based more on political calculations than enrollment, places like Central, Western, and Lake Superior State are losing students but bringing in far more money for each one that remains, is uh, according to Ben DeGroe. And he says, meanwhile, the state's two biggest universities are drawing in more students without a huge gain in tax support. The lesson is Michigan should move to a higher education funding model that's more closely based on how many students enroll and complete degrees. So um, that that might be something that uh, legislators will need to look at in the future when uh, putting together the budgets for the next year, because this is unsustainable. I mean, things have gotten so dire at at CMU, for example, they have closed two dorms, completely closed them because they 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 can't fill them and. If you move all the individuals from one dorm into another dorm, then you don't have to have as many cafeteria workers and and what have you that uh, that you need to be employed at these individuals, individual dormitories. So, yeah, it's um, it's pretty amazing. I think that just about takes up all of our time for today, Scott, and I would like to thank you for for joining me as you do every week. Well, almost every week, except when you're out, you know, researching your, your books and doing all of the wonderful journalism things that you do. So uh, I'd like to thank you and let listeners know that they can read all of the Center Square stories at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. And you can listen to all the Center Square podcasts at americastalking.com. And I'll say that one more time, americastalking.com. I'm Bruce Walker, Midwest Regional Editor for the Center Square. Scott and I will be back again next week. 